book of James, the first chapter, the book of James, and we've been talking about going deeper. And I want to thank you for your response to this series. Thank you for writing me and for the notes and the things that you say and, and your reactions because, listen, it is my dream that we would become the most spiritually mature people that we could be over the next 10 years. We are living in a very shallow, very broken, very hurting world. And I think that if Christianity does not change in our country, it's just gonna be more white noise against the backdrop of so much discouragement and pain. And I think that we have an opportunity to rise up and be the people of God, to be Christ right now for this culture. And we'll never achieve that opportunity if we continue to be the people that we just are today. And so I'm not asking to be the most spiritually mature church to compare to any other church. I want us to have our full potential to be who God has called us to be so we can do the things he's called us to do. So I would invite you today to open up your heart to receive this word of God and not just be a hearer, but to do what it says. Will you stand with me as we read God's word together from the James, the first chapter, and then I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 45, and I'm going to read you a quick story out of Genesis 45 that illustrates exactly what James is talking about. You can follow along on the screen or in the Bible that you have in your hand, beginning in verse 19. James begins by saying, so then, so then, so then, so then. (laughs) What he's saying is, is, okay, everything we've talked about so far, all the last few weeks, all the verses that we've read, everything we've learned, because we have learned some things, because of that, now here's what I'm going to call you to do. And he says, so then, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every man or woman be swift to hear, be slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which will save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man, observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what he looks like. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. This is the key to blessing in your life. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted by the world. And then in Genesis 45, a brief story to illustrate in the fourth verse, then Joseph... After all the things that had been done to him, all the trial, the hardship, the pain, the agony, then Joseph, since all of that happened, he said to his brothers, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But now, therefore, do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. These two years... The famine has been in the land. There are still five years left in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth 
and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Look at verse 8. This is amazing. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to the Pharaoh and a lord of all his house, a ruler through the land of Egypt. Hurry, go get my father. Tell him that his son Joseph is still alive, that God is, uh, that, that you should come to me, don't wait. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near your children, your children's children, all your flocks. Come to me so that you will no longer live in poverty. This is an amazing story. Really needs no explanation. But James and Joseph are coming together to tell you one thing today. It is what you do. It's not what you say you believe. It's not what you think you know. It is what you do. Turn to somebody near you and tell them, it's what you do. Turn and tell somebody, it's what you do. It's not what you believe. I don't care what you believe. It's what you do, baby. It's what you do. I hope I can make this clear this morning. Let's pray. Are you ready for this? All right. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us clearly this morning. I thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to share your word with your people. I pray you would pour into them and feed their souls. I pray not only for them, but for those watching over the internet, that you would meet their needs today. And Father, may this word not just be something we hear, and may it not just fade away, but may it become a part of us, and may we do it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said together. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let's get going. Let's get to work. We live in a time in a society in a culture where everybody loves to talk. Everybody likes to share their opinions. We've got people on all the time talking to us about who is up and who is down, who's high and who is low. We love to hear people tell us who is right as they demonize who is wrong. The talk polarizing the left from the right and the right from the left. We live in a world of big mouths and small minds. <laughs> we live in a world of loud mouths and little thoughts, of sardonic attacks and shallow thinking. People who want to major on the minors, people who minor on the majors. Our world is stuck. Our culture is stuck on shallow. It's all shallow, little, resolvable issues. All, using up all this time, 24-7, any TV news channel you turn on, Fox, MSNBC, CNN, take your pick, people on there all the time having big arguments over little shallow issues, boxing each other, fighting each other, tearing each other down, ripping each other down, little, little issues, and yet we have big problems in our country, big crises in our nations. We've got a huge Goliath to kill, and yet we are being trained to think shallow little thoughts because of all the little shallow little arguments going on. Now, granted, shallow thinking can be very entertaining. <laughs> shallow arguing, all of this discussion can be very entertaining, but it will not change anything. It, in, in the end, it is not helpful. If you really want change to happen in your life, if you really want to turn things around, it will never happen because of shallow thinking. You're going to have to think deeper in order to change your life. Now, God is a deep thinker, and he calls deep to deep. He calls us to think deeply, and, and even when we think our deepest thoughts, you know, our thoughts are still foolishness compared to God, so you know what happens when we don't think. It's difficult 
God is this deep thinker, and he calls us through James, who called his church, the first pastor of the first church. He's saying, guys, you got to think deeper. Come with me. You've got to elevate above the level of your culture. He speaks to separated and scattered people, and he says, it's time to think more deeply and rise above the common, everyday, sort of shallow reactions that are so common. Like, if I'm not economically prospering, God must not love me. Or if God is blessing somebody else and he's not blessing me, maybe he doesn't care about me. Or if I've been through some sort of injustice or something wasn't fair, where was God and why did he allow this to happen? Or if I go through pain or pressure or tragedy and God doesn't do what I want him to do, well, maybe he's not even there. I mean, how could a good God let X happen you know, to me if he's... Maybe he's not even, I won't believe in God anymore. That's what I'll do. James is saying, look, time to rise above that shallow kind of thinking. We've got to go deeper. In fact, we've got to consider the deep thought. James has been spending the first verses of this chapter saying, consider that everything that you're going through, all of it, it's for a greater purpose. What if God is doing something in you that's greater than what you can see right now in the problem? I mean, what if it's not about your temporary comfort? What if it really is about your eternal character? Think deeply, come up higher, and realize that there is something greater that he is doing in you as he is sifting you, getting rid of that which is, you know, valueless, and leaving you with something that's weighty and has a greater glory that is, that is supposed to be a part of your life. What if this is really normal, what is happening to you, and it happens to every Christian? That God's issue with you is that he's trying to get you to persevere few through things so that you don't just live by your feelings because everybody lives by their feelings. What if he's actually trying to get you to have some character? Because it's not what you know that matters. It's what you do when the pressure comes on. What are you going to be like when you get under pressure? How are you going to act then? I mean, I know you know a lot about God and the Bible and you've, you've been to church, but I mean, when you get under pressure and things don't go, how do you start to respond? How do you act then? And so James is saying, it's time for us to think more deeply and, and realize that God is using all of these things to get God's word deeply within us, that we're able to have something of value and something that's, that's going to shape our ability to, to respond instead of just react to the problems that come. That word has got to get inside of us. That's why he says, so then, if you're thinking dip, deeply already, if you're tracking with me, so then, my brothers and sisters, here's how I want you to start behaving now. If you really believe that this is reality, not this, if you're going to start thinking deeply, I'm going to call you now to some behavior that associates with deep thinking. Are you following what I'm saying? He's saying, if you're going to think deeply, now that you're thinking deeply, I can call you to some specific behavior. And he gives three attitudes that are a requirement for the word of God to get inside of us. If we don't have these attitudes, God's word does not get implanted in us. And after all, he said, it was the word of God that is able to save our soul. It's the word of God that helps us get through and overcome the adversity that we're facing. But how are we going to receive Here's three attitudes that you can write down. I hope you'll remember the rest of your life. He says you need to have an attitude of being calm, the attitude of being curious, and a desire or an attitude of being clean. Three C's. Calm, curious, and clean. Look what he says in verse 19. He says, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. That's about being calm. That's a call to being a calm 
non-anxious person, in spite of all the drama, be quick to listen and slow to speak. God gave us two ears and one mouth, so we ought to listen twice as much as we talk. <laughs> but unfortunately, it's very hard to do when I've got a mouth that wants to go. <laughs> so he says, you're going to have to start becoming a calm person. And then he says, be slow to wrath because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You can be right and not righteous. It is not the same thing. Don't confuse it. I mean, if you really want to turn your life around, you've got to get past just being right. You do know that you can win a battle and lose the war. Totally possible. You got people talking and talking and, you know, demonstrating their stubbornness and, you know, shallow thinking that will just, you know, shallow thinking. You know what that does? It produces anger. It it makes you unable to hear. It makes you intent on being right. And you see these people. I'm I'm not going to let anybody else have the last word. How's that working for you so far? See, curiosity would be a much better response. There's something, it's one of the most powerful attitudes you can have, curiosity. When things don't go your way, when somebody says something that you don't agree with, instead of going through the filter of it, I think you're wrong. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Why don't you just go, hmm, I wonder where, why you would have that view. I wonder why you think that way. I wonder if there's another view that I've not considered. Curiosity is a powerful mood lifter. It's a mood elevator. If you ever get stuck in depression, don't try to be happy, but try to, just try to be curious. I wonder why things are the way that they are. It's amazing how it can pull you out. Curiosity. We get irritated. We get judgmental. How much more effective if we just put our energy towards, I wonder why. I wonder why they see things the way that they do instead of just calling them an idiot. <laughs> It'd be so much better. James is being real practical here. Be calm, be curious, and then he says, you know, be clean. Therefore, he says, lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness. Be clean. Now, let's go deeper. What does he mean by filth? Let's talk about filth. What is the filth he's talking about? I looked this up in the Greek, and it's very deep. You know what, it, you know what the word filth means here? Earwax. <laughs> the word filth is literally the word for earwax. But it's a powerful picture. This is where, you know, it really helps to understand what the guy was saying in his original language. Because you know what he's saying? He's saying that unconfessed sin makes it impossible to hear God. Now, that's deep. And that's good. He's saying it's really hard for you to hear God when you are harboring unconfessed sin in your life. In fact, it'll stop God speaking from you. You can't harbor wickedness in you and expect God to talk to you. He's going to go, all right, have your way. Unconfessed sin. He's saying you got to be ready. All right, clean out everything that's wrong. Get rid of the evil. Get rid of stuff we know needs to go so that God's word can get into you, which is the whole point. He's saying that the whole thing that's going to save you and bring you through whatever trial you're, you're going through is when you have the word of God implanted into you, implanted, planted deep into the soil of your heart, not just something you heard on Sunday. I talked about this last week. It's not my word that's going to help you. It's not that you saw it on a screen or you maybe heard a scripture on K-Love, you know, for the day. I mean, you've got to get something that's deep inside of you. That when you get under pressure, it informs you, this is how you ought to behave. This is how I'm going to act. I know I feel this way, but, you know, this is the word of God, and it's in me. There is something about when God's word has gotten into you, and it's, 
it's humbled you and you got corrected by it, you say, oh, that's good. I'll never, I need to change. Or I, I, I'm disciplined by this. Or, or this is how I need to be. There's something about the word of God that is so corrective. But the word of God doesn't get into us if we are off the chain, crazy, overreacting, if we're not calm. And if we don't have a curious heart, like we think we know it all, like I already know what I need to know, don't, don't, don't tell me anything new. So if you don't have a curious spirit, and if you're filled up with sin, well, how are you going to ever get God's word into you? So these are critical attitudes. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Does this make sense? So, so God, give me a calm spirit. And God, give me a curiosity. God, help me to be open. And God, deal with what is wicked inside of my heart. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Every person in here has got something. The old lady, I'm sorry, you too. All of us, everybody. All, me, the preacher, everybody's got something. Everybody needs to say, God, look, what is wicked? What's wicked in me? Forgive me. All of us. So, so this is the purpose of our worship service. You thought this was all like music and entertainment before, you know, me. But it's not, has nothing to do with that. The, the purpose of, uh, of our worship service is that we would come before God and we would calm our spirits. The words and the music would lift our attention towards God. Who is he? What is he like? And the calming effect of a great and mighty God who is bigger than any problem that we face. And then we come with this curious, open heart. God, you speak to me today. There's so much I don't know. There's so much I don't understand. God, reveal your yourself. I'm open. Do whatever you want in me. And God, forgive me. I'm sorry. Clean out what's wrong. May there be nothing. Let there be no obstacles to your word. I've let my own standards down, let alone yours. God, help me. You see, when you come to, the, to God's word with this incredible spirit of calm and an openness and a willingness of expectancy, and then you've got this, this great sense of humility, look what he says. Let the word of God, when, when you, you have that meekness, that humility of spirit, the word of God will become implanted in you. Now, this is good. We could stop right there. That's enough for the whole day. But he goes on and says, it's not enough that you just get it inside of you. You have now got to do the word of God. It, it, if you're just a hearer only, if you just heard it and you don't do it, you're missing the whole point. Look what he says. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then he gives an illustration of the mirror. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who, who looks into the mirror for a moment and then he, he glances at it and then he walks away and then he immediately forgets what he looks like. All right, so, so let's, let's talk about the mirror. The, the purpose of a mirror is for evaluation. I'm going to look at it, evaluate myself, and then make some form of action depending upon what I see. Now, all of you ladies this morning, you got up this morning and you looked in the mirror. Not one of you got up, looked in the mirror, glanced at it, just said, it's a great day, and then just drove here. <laughs> Not one of you did that. You sat down, you gazed intently into that mirror, and you went to work. Because <laughs> there was some work to be done. And you took some time, and you let the mirror inform your behavior, and you did something about it. And some of you men did too. Now, Queen Elizabeth I, you know, not the current Queen Elizabeth, but the Queen Elizabeth I, she was very beautiful when she was young. 
And uh, she was very, you know, very proud, you know, British woman. And there was a point in her life where she banned all mirrors from Buckingham Palace because as she got older, she couldn't stand to see herself losing her beauty. So she banned all mirrors gone from Buckingham Palace. Now, who is she fooling? One person. (laughs) There's only one person that doesn't want to look at reality and then she's afraid of what she might see. All right? So, so listen, the person who is unwilling to face reality, unwilling to face themselves in the mirror, that is, that's, that's, that's deceptive. It's shallow thinking. And see, a lot of people are scared. They don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to listen to I don't want to come to church. Well, why? Because what, what's the mirror going to reveal? The Bible says that the word of God is, is, discerns the thoughts, the intents, the motives, the desires of the heart. Have you ever looked into the word of God and seen yourself? Man, God changed me. I, this is what I look like. James is saying God's word can be, is supposed to be a mirror to us and help us to evaluate ourselves. You can't walk past a mirror and not glance in it. It's human nature to glance, but this is not about a glance. This is about gazing intently. Look what he says. But he who looks into this law, he who looks into the word of God, that of liberty, not of, not of condemnation, but of freedom, And continues in it, not just a glance, but this gaze for the purpose of, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to do something about what it is I'm taking in. That person, if they're not a forgetful hearer, but they are a doer of the work, that one will be blessed in all that he does. Circle that because that is a key that I'm going to come back to later. The person who says, I'm going to do the word of God, that's the person who's going to be blessed in all that he does. Can I go deeper? The word hearer in this passage where he says, don't just be a hearer, be a doer. You know what the word hearer actually means? We, we have another word from the same group, Greek word. It's the word auditor, okay? Have you ever audited a class before? The word audio, you know, you just listened to it. You, you weren't responsible for any of the work. You didn't have to turn in any assignments. You didn't have to do any research. You didn't have to take a test. You just, your only responsibility was just to go and to hear. You audited the class. So we got a lot of people auditing Christianity today. Hate to break it to you. A lot of people just auditing, like I'm just hearing no responsibility, have no intention of ever really putting any of this to any active change in my life. James says that is self-deception because that's not, that, that, you're just deceiving yourself. A test of maturity is not knowledge, it's not even knowing some stuff. The test of maturity is character. What are you going to do when the pressure comes on? I know you're a good Christian person, but what happens when you're irritated? What happens when you're frustrated? What happens when somebody cuts you off? What happens when your spouse starts to get in your space? I mean, what are you going to be like when the pressure is on? James says, it's not what you say you know. It is what you do. Say to that person again near you, it's not what you know. It's what you do. It's what you do. That's the test of maturity. A lot of people have a lot of Bible knowledge, but here's the, here's the truth, friends. It's all very spiritually shallow because it doesn't change the way we act. So that's why God is putting you through so many tests of preparation. You say to yourself, why am I going through this over and over and over? Well, because he's trying to get your character to change. And you'll keep going through that lesson over and over and over until you begin to put what you are learning into practice. You want out of the trial? Say, God, I don't want to just be a hearer. God, I will do whatever it is you're telling me to do. And respond. It's what you do. Let me back this up. Let me just kind of tie this whole thing together. 
When you experience pressure or deprivation or loss or frustration and pain, the, the temptation that's coming your way is to tempt you and to go after your mood. It's all about your mood. What makes you mad? What makes you angry? What gets you blaming God? What makes you rush to judgment and start running off your mouth and running somebody down or, 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 or getting angry at somebody or, or everything and, and you know, letting your depressed mood pull you into behavior that you know is just polluting your life and you don't even wanna do it but you're like, you know what, I need relief so bad I don't really even care. And besides, if it wasn't for what they did and for what she did and for what she said, I'm justified, that will kill you. That whole pattern of thinking is the shallow thinking that James is saying, leave that behind because that's not gonna get you anywhere. It's leading you to frustration and pain. Are you understanding what I'm saying? That's what James is saying, leave that behind. And if you wanna become a mature believer, when the problems, when the trial, when the difficulty, the adversity comes, you do have the capacity to resist that and to be a person of character, that the implanted word has power to save you. How does the word get implanted? I receive it. I calmly say, God, I'm gonna be slow to speak and quick to listen. God, I'm not gonna give over to wrath, but I wanna listen to you. God, I want you to help me. I'm open. God, I want you to clean out whatever's wrong in me. It's not about them or what they did. God, start to work in my life. Let the word of God come into me. And there's amazing things that happen. When you're in your trial and you open yourself up to the word of God and you say, God, speak to me. Boy, some strength and some power begins to happen in your life. It's not written on the page anymore. It's written in you. And when it's written in you and it's, and it's moving you and you're getting emotional about it and you say, God, I will be strong and I will overcome and I won't give up and I won't give over. That's where he's trying to take you. That's the word of God when it comes to you and it gets in your heart. So this is what happens to Joseph really early in his life. As a young boy, the word of God comes to him and it gets in his heart. It's a powerful vision. One day you're gonna be a great leader. You're gonna come to a place of position and power. I'm gonna use you in a great way. He makes the mistake of telling this story to his family, to his brothers, and they hate him for it. They, they one day they grab him they rip off the, the coat of many colors. They beat on him. They throw him into a pit, take the, the coat, dip it in some blood, lie on him to his dad and say, we don't know what happened to him. I think an animal got him. He's dead. Joseph is dead. Lied on him. Don't think that people will not lie about you. It happens. And don't think also that, you know, in, you know that old saying, in every, in every lie there's always a grain of truth? Absolutely not true because he didn't do anything here. He's alive, he's not dead. I mean, this is a total fabrication. Sometimes what happens to you is a total fabrication. It's not even true. Here he is now in a pit, starving, half naked, no food, no water, vulnerable, and whenever you find yourself in a pit like that, you can't help it but start to go, why am I here? You start looking for logic. We start looking for why did this injustice occur and what's the reason for it? We're such rational people, always looking for a reason. And so we look for logic to life and sometimes life is just crazy. There is no logic. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's just evil, it's just wrong. There was no reason for it, it was just off. 
And it'd be different if you were reaping what you sowed. But some stuff that you're reaping, you know you didn't sow that, and, and, you're, and it's happening to you. I mean, I might have done some things, but I know good and well that I've never treated anybody like you're treating me right now. That's what Joseph is saying. I might have got an extra cupcake or two. I might have got a fancier coat than I probably should have got from my dad. I probably shouldn't have told you about my dream. But I never threw anybody into a pit and never treated anybody the way you're treating me. Life's just unfair like that sometimes. So the lie plays out. And he's in this pit being sold now as a slave into the house of a man named Potiphar. He's in this house as a slave now. It starts to get better. And just as it starts to get a little bit better for him, this crazy lady, Potiphar's wife, starts to make, make her moves on him. And he's trying to be a good guy. He's trying to resist. He's trying to be, you know, keep himself unspotted by the world. And he's trying to do what's right. And she doesn't get her way, so she lies on him again. And he ends up back in prison. At this point, he's saying, there is a cycle going on here. There has to be a pattern. Every time I start to get a little bit ahead... Somebody else is lying about me. And I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but how come, you know, this did not happen for me? Some bitterness doesn't come from what happens to you in life. It, it comes from what didn't happen. How come it didn't happen for me? You might not admit it, but it's true for everybody. Why, God, are they, is it happening for them? And why is it not happening for me? I thought we'd be happily ever after by now. It didn't happen. I thought we'd have a family by now and children, but it's not happening. God, I thought that I would be promoted and be at this point. I'd be leading this company. It didn't happen. God, I thought that I would be, you know, we, we would be in this place, in this house, in this, in this situation, and it has not happened. Sometimes, you know, I'm not bitter over what did happen. I'm bitter over what didn't happen. How easy it would have been for Joseph now to give in to the temptation of bitterness of anger, of frustration, of wrath, and just become this horrible person because, after all, he deserved to be bitter and to be angry after everything that had been done. He was forgotten. He was abandoned in prison. Everybody else is getting out but him. And if you've ever been in that position, and I know everybody has, where you watch everybody else around you getting out but you, it's a strange, difficult. Everybody else is getting promoted. Everybody else is moving on. This is where Joseph was. So Joseph has every right to be angry and to be bitter and to be frustrated. But God's purpose was never spoiled. It was never failed by all of this adversity that hit Joseph. Because in one day, Joseph goes from the prison to the palace. In one day. This is what I want you to know. God's purpose has, will never fail you. It will keep you alive in a painful place, in isolation, in demotion, in segregation, in adversity, in trauma, in divorce. None of that can stop the purpose of God in your life. God's purpose, God's purpose can exist in a desert where there's no food and there's no water and you still grow and you survive. Jesus proved that. God's purpose will keep you alive when it hurts and when you've cried and when you've wept and when you've mourned and it says this makes absolutely no sense but you're still alive and you still have your right mind because it's God's purpose that's keeping you and it doesn't matter what cancer says. Cancer didn't kill you and divorce didn't kill you and lies didn't kill you and hate didn't kill you and you're still here surviving. It's the purpose of God. He goes from an inmate to the CFO of a nation in one day. 
Joseph, listen, Joseph is running the economy, the gross national economy of the greatest nation of the known world at that day. And he's not even a citizen of the nation. He goes from absolute poverty, from being a nobody, to being the right hand seated beside the Pharaoh of Egypt. Now, his brothers have no idea what's happened to him. They don't seem to care. They're carrying the baggage of all the stuff that they've done in their past. Dad doesn't know. Dad, dad is, uh, thinks he's dead. And these men, these brothers, come, come to Egypt looking for blessing and looking for favor because they're experiencing great famine. And they're about to present their case before the CFO of Egypt. They have no idea who he is. They've come with their best presentation, their best story. They're coming to get favor and blessing from somebody. And they don't even realize the person that they're asking for favor from When they were in power, they used their power to crush the person they're asking for favor from. And so they lay out their case and they make their requests and they ask for favor. And Joseph has the doors closed and he says, my brothers, it is I, Joseph. Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine the terror, the shock, the, 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 the total, uh, you know, time would have stopped. They would have been terrorized because they would have thought, he's got us right where he wants us. I mean, he can do anything to us now. He's going to pay us back for everything that we did to him all those years ago. In fact, in the story, it says they began to argue with one another. Why did we do what we did to him? Now listen to, what, listen to what Joseph says. Listen to this. You meant this to me for evil, but God meant it for good. It was not you who sent me here. It was God. Look at Joseph going deeper. Look at Joseph thinking deep thoughts. Listen, look at him coming up higher from where he should have been. Joseph is comforting people who threw him into a pit that started a chain reaction that led to the better part of his life being in prison. Joseph is now ministering to people because somehow there's been something that's happened inside of him, a process that led him now to minister to the people that mistreated him. And he's saying this, you had your reasons, but it was God who had his. That's going deeper. It was your hand, but it was God's purpose. It was your lie, but God used it. You rejected me, but God was in charge the whole time. You forsook me, but God was leading me out. It was a lie that you told, but God was using it for your good. God put me here to save you today. He went deeper. It's going deeper. God put me here not just to save you. The scripture said for posterity's sake. That means for the whole generation, all of your family and the generations coming after, God put me here to save the whole family. Now here's my whole message today. Here's what I propose to you. Joseph got the favor and the blessing that he got because he thought at a deeper level. God gave Joseph this incredible blessed life because Joseph was a man who decided, I'm going to go deeper. I'm gonna think deeper thoughts. God cannot give big destiny to shallow people because the shallowness of the way that people think keeps them from the opportunity that God has for them. If, if Joseph would have been a bitter person, he would have never used his gifts to serve other people while he was in prison. 
Think about that. He is serving. He's not even thinking about himself. He's serving the needs of others in prison through his giftedness. And if he hadn't have done that, he would have never left prison. It's because he is serving the needs of others that leads him out of prison and gives him the opportunity to go to the place of his purpose. He stayed calm. He kept his head on right. He didn't look at all the adversity and all of the, everybody's forgotten about me. He stayed calm. He kept his tongue bridled because creativity does not function in bitterness. You can't have great thoughts and deep thoughts when your mind is full of shallow thoughts and little offenses and little injustices. Joseph just kept all of that in its place and he kept calm. And this is why Jesus said if somebody you know, hurts you, if somebody does something against you, forgive them. If they do it again, forgive them again. If they do it again and again and again, forgive them again. Not because they're nice and not because they deserve it, but because you need all of your strength and all of your energy and all of your power to go towards the destiny that God has for you. That is the word of the Lord to somebody today. You can't grab on to what God has for you when you're still holding on to something in 2005 and 2006 in 2008 or way back in the 90s. You, you got to let that go. You can't grab on to what God has for you when you're holding on to that. He stayed curious. Joseph had this, this open heart, like, God, teach me everything you want from this. God, I'm open. I'm listening. Reveal to me what you want me to do. And over time, he had those moments. Oh, that's what you're trying to do. I see I see it, Lord. I see why you brought me here to this place and to this time. I see what you're trying to, you put me here to save all these people in our family. You put me here to, to, to be able to use my life to bless them, which is exactly what James was talking about, that real religion is not about getting all caught up in your problems and who hurt you or whatever. It's taking care of widows and orphans and using your giftedness to bless others in the name of Christ. That's what he's talking about. He stayed curious and open. And Joseph kept himself clean. It said, all the way, you read the story in Genesis, Joseph was a man of integrity. He kept himself unspotted, undiminished, unpolluted from the world around him. Joseph was a man who was not just a hearer of the word, but he was a doer. What are you going to do with what you already know? What are you going to do today? Who do you need to forgive today? What bitterness do you need to let go of today? Okay, so, so what, what do you need to get calm about today? What ought you to be curious about? Like, God, what's another view? And how do you see this? What's your perspective on what's going on? On what they said and what they did? And God, I don't know everything. I just have my view, so I trust you. God, I, what do you need to get curious about today? What do you need to come clean about today? Like, this has to stop. God, I can't hear you and participate in this. I can't live my life this way and pretend to be your follower. I can't do this and hear your voice. God, I come clean today. I confess it. See, there's something that's so powerful about true confession. Not just, I'm sorry, I won't, you know, I got caught. But I mean, God, I, I don't want to ever be this way again. I need to stop. What do you need to come clean on? What, what do you need to start? There's so much to start. I mean, if you're a follower of Christ 
and you're going to say, okay, I want to think deeper thoughts, and you're going to be his disciple, then guess what? At some point in your life, you're going to have to read this entire book, all of it, all the pages, the whole Bible. You've got to read it. It's, you've got to know this. You can't rely on the little, you know, clips that we put up here once a week, you know? You, you could read the whole thing if you read like five chapters in a day. In one year, you'd read the whole Bible. Are, are you going to get God's word implanted into you? Will you do that? How about baptism? Because some of you, you know you need to be baptized. I've talked about it for weeks and weeks, and every time I mention it, you know, I, yeah, I should. And you come from a tradition where it's different. Or, or you say, well, whatever your excuse is. And here's the point. Everybody knows that it makes perfect sense to at some point in your life as an adult to stand up before the body of Christ and say, I too, like you, have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. From this day forward, I will do whatever he says. I'm his follower, I'm his disciple. Buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. That's the word of the Lord to somebody today. Will you be baptized? How about somebody you know, who knows that you ought to be serving in the body of Christ? You realize this, that if you just take and take and take and take and you don't give back, that you will dry up and shrivel out? So for your own sake, where will you use your giftedness to serve other people in the body of Christ in a strategic way? Even if you're just serving a child, it's going to make a difference for you. Will you serve if you're not serving? There's so many of you that need to respond to that today. How about some of you who, you know that God should be first in my finances. He ought to be in first place. The tithe belongs to him. And I know I should, but I don't. And I, you know, wrestle and argue. But today, God... No more holding back. The first 10% belongs to you. God, I'll get here early. How about this commitment? I'll just get here on time. <laughs> so that I can, I can be calm. I can calm myself. And I can get really open to you. And what you want to say. And where you can start to cleanse out my heart. So by the time the word comes, I'm prepared to receive it. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? What is he asking you to do? Do not be only a hearer of the word, but be a doer of God's word. And that's my word to you today. I hope you receive it. Can I just pray for you a minute? Can I pray just a minute before you go? Listen. Heavenly Father, this sermon is not done. The preaching is over, but... The word has yet to be finished. The sermon is yet to be done until we do it. So, Lord, I pray that every person here today will have the courage, the courage, the, the power of the Holy Spirit to do whatever your spirit is telling them to do. May they say yes to you and do what you say. And for the person who's here this morning, Maybe you're a guest or a first time or you've, you've come for a few weeks and you've been far from God. You have, you've held him at a distance or maybe you're watching right now on the internet and you know you're far away from God. Today is this moment where you can say, yes, God, I give you my whole life. I'm sorry for holding you at a distance. I'm sorry for keeping you at arm's length. I've been bitter. I've been caught up in all the injustices, but today I'll let that go. I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me. I'm sorry for holding you back. I'm ready to let you lead me the rest of my life. If that's you, say, yes, God, that's me. Oh, God, you hear people speaking out to you right now, asking you to change their life. Do a work of your spirit in their heart at this moment, and may they be able to accomplish and do whatever it is you're telling them to do. 
In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, if you're on, online, write to me. Send me an email today. I'll help you. If, you. if you want to know what the next steps are, write on your response card. If you want to be baptized today, right after this service, I'm going to be in this water, already baptizing some people from other services. And we have all of the equip, all of the equipment, all of the clothing that you need, a hair dryer, a mirror, all the stuff that you need. And uh, we'll help you get out of here quickly. But I, this would be a great day for you to say yes to God. Don't delay. And we're here to help you. I love you. I care about you. I want to see God's best for you. Keep coming back because James is going to continue to get more and more powerful. Thank you for coming today.